Hey, good morning. How you doing? It is Black History Month, and we are reminded of that. And we should be reminded of that not just in February, but every month of the year. That the history of the black community is beautiful. Their contribution to America is phenomenal. And oftentimes, we as the white community, or even in our history books, define or relegate black history just to Rosa Parks, or Dr. Martin Luther King, or Malcolm X. But the black community is rich in history and beautiful in their contribution. And like, for me, I think about um, that sometimes we are tempted to just think about the history of black America in some sort of rosy-eyed glasses, but I believe that the looking back should always be a way to say, how does this look like a future of flourishing? And, you know, we see that. We see Tulsa, we see Wilmington, we see spaces where black history was um, beautiful and dynamic, and it was destroyed and taken and removed. But we know that, uh, that, that we can be a part, all of us, of building a beautiful, flourishing future for every single person. And so I think for me, um, and I've been talking to some of uh, my friends in the community of color, of like, let's, let's build, let's be part of not just recognizing black history, let's do that, but let's allow that to inspire, empower, and catapult us to being part of empowering a beautiful black future in America because we believe that's possible and we believe and we as followers of Jesus should be about engaging and empowering beautiful flourishing futures for every single person no matter what and so let's be about that let's think about that this month but not only this month in March and April and May and June July August all the months and because that is who we are and this morning, I mean, we're continuing in Acts, and this message might not seem like it is a message directed that is a Black History Month message, but I think that it is, and I think that um, all of Mark is and can be, because the Gospel of Mark is about, as she talked about, freedom. And whoever doesn't have freedom, then the Gospel of Jesus Christ is intersecting that space and changing it so that it can have freedom. So that whoever is not experiencing fullness of freedom, Jesus enters into that space so that we can have freedom. And that looks different for every single person everywhere. But this today speaks to this idea of strong man. What we're going to read today is really, uh, in my opinion, the, the really the thesis of Luke. I mean the Gospel of Mark, sorry. That would not make sense, would it? But the Gospel of Mark here, that this is a central point, that this is what it is all about. This is, in a way, in 10 verses to sum up the work that Jesus is doing, the, the reason that Jesus is getting pushback, the reason that Jesus will be crucified, murdered, and, and the, but what the Gospel of Jesus Christ is and for, for us today and for all people throughout all time. But as we talk about this, I, I want to center it, in, center it into the idea of love. I, um, I created a little pandemic jam in my, in my garage and where I go every morning and I 
work out for a little bit. And, and oftentimes I take some time and then I pray there. And this, like, this week I was, I was thinking about this. There was, a, there was a fog. The weather's awful. Gosh, the weather's so bad. And there was like this mist of fog that was about, you know, it, er, very early in the morning, one morning this week. And I just thought of like, wow, this is a great image for God's love. Like maybe we're all walking in sort of this sense of, of this fog that maybe we can't see or a mist that we can't really see, but we're all walking through it. It's like, maybe it's like ultraviolet. We can't, our eyes can't see or whatever, but it's in, a, it's in a spectrum that we can't really see, but it is there. And so we are all walking through this mist, through this fog in a good way of God's love. It permeates everything. It is around us all the time. It is all over us. It is all over you. It is everywhere you go. When you get into your car, your car is full of this fog. When you go to work, it is full of this fog. When you come home, your home is full of this fog. Like everywhere we go is God's love being a fog on top of us, around us, behind us, over us. And like, what if we, what if we did life like that, right? What if we did life like that? Like understanding that God's love is everywhere and the only way that God responds to us interacts with us engages with us is through this love the greatest love that we could ever imagine is not God's love God's love is even beyond that but it is what we imagine and so we can like just God's love is so full and so beautiful. And so as we read this, let us frame that in the work of God's love in this world. So here we go. Here we go. Mark 3, chapters 20. No, 3. Chapter 3, verse 20. Here we go. You ready? You ready? You ready out there? Yes? I know you're so excited. I know you're excited at home too. Here we go. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him because they thought he was crazy. And they said, he is out of his mind. What is Jesus doing? And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul. <laughs> it's great. By the devil. <laughs> by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. So how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven all of their sins and all their blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven but is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. So what in the world does this mean? Like if this is the thesis of Mark, if this is the center point from which everything flows out, from which our hermeneutical understanding can flow through, then what is going on here? I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will try to explain in the best of my ability. Here we go. So here Jesus is doing his ministry, and what happens? Well, first, his parents, his family was concerned about him because they knew he was going to get killed. 
They knew that Jesus is biting off more than he can chew. And Jesus here is upsetting some very powerful people. And when you upset very powerful people, what happens? Those powerful people will want to shut you up, will want to silence you. So they were genuinely worried about this. But Jesus seemed to completely understand what he was doing, completely understand the moment, who he was upsetting, and what he was saying. And so here the teachers of the law come, and they cast the ultimate dehumanization, right? That, that like, you're full of devil. <laughs> Have you ever been told this before? Has anybody ever told you, like, you're full of the devil. You're doing the work of Satan. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've been told that many, many times. I can't even count on a hand how many times that I've gotten letters, that people have come up to me and said, you know, you think you're a Christian, but you're doing the work of Satan. I'm like, thank you very much. (laughs) I'll be here till 10 tonight. Like, like, I don't know about you, but I, that's happened so much to me. And I'm sure that it's happened to you, too. By the very fact that you're going to this church, probably people have told you. Maybe some of your friends, Christian friends, have told you, that, wor- that church is not Christian over there. They're doing the work of Satan. And you ask, like, well, why? Why do you think that? Tell me more. Why do you think that I'm doing the work of Satan or that church is full of Satan? Why do you think that? Please be specific about that. (laughs) And you know what will happen usually is that we're embracing people that they don't want to embrace. We are saying God loves people that they don't believe God loves. And so it seems the only, the ultimate sort of insult, the ultimate dehumanization for someone that you agree with, that you don't agree with, in the Christian world is to say they're doing the work of the devil. They're doing the work of Satan. And like, it, honestly, y'all, this makes, this makes no sense. It makes, I've talked to people about this, you make no darn sense. Sorry, I don't say darn. I'm much more um, dramatic when I talk to people like that. You make no sense. So you're telling me that I'm doing this job. I'm sacrificing my life I'm doing these things and accepting the insults that you give because I'm doing the work of Satan? Come on. This is ridiculous and stupid. So shut up about it, okay? Because all that you are doing in that moment is you are doing the the very thing you say you stand against. You are dehumanizing. You are trying to diminish the work that God is doing to bring liberation to people that you don't like. And so because you don't like it and you're not in charge of it, you are seeking to discredit it, to dehumanize it, to push it out. But let's be honest. The real issue here is God is doing something outside of your control and you don't like it. That's the real issue. And so we hurl the insults. We say, but we do this all the time, don't we? We do this in a variety of different ways as a society. With people that we want to discredit, that we want to diminish, that we are afraid in some way that that we have a certain power and that they are going to take that power from us. And so we seek that dehumanization process with them. We do this to women by saying, right, that they are liars and they are seducers. We historically have said this about women that you, it, it, it is 
We blame them for their own the abuse that happens, right? It was your own fault. You shouldn't have worn those clothes. You looked at me in a certain way. You like this is all an effort to dehumanize and to diminish so that they can't take a certain power that I have. We do this, we have done this with the black community. What do we say about the black community? We say the black community is violent. That's historically our narrative. This dehumanizes, it diminishes, it puts in a corner. We have said this about the LGBTQ community historically in America, that, that they are abusers and, and, and somehow outside of the natural way of being, like that is an effort to dehumanize and discredit. We say this about the immigrant and the Latino community, that they are lawbreakers because, well, they broke the law by coming into America. Therefore, all of the community is corrupted and bad because they did that. They broke the law. We say this about liberal white people. What do we say about liberal white people when we want to discredit them? We say they're a communist. And so all of these different ways are all the same thing to discredit and dehumanize, to cast them in a sense of being immoral. Because if someone is, a group of people is immoral, then we don't need to accept them. If they are immoral, then they have no place in society. And so the step goes. They, they are, they're, they're here, then, then we discredit and dehumanize. We cast them as immoral. And then and therefore, if they are immoral, then those who are moral, who are standing on the higher moral ground, can hurt them. They have the right then. In their mind, mentally, this is what we do. This is always what we've done in society. If a group of people is immoral, then therefore the group of people who is moral, moral, has the right to extinguish them. And so this always, always, always leads to violence in some sense. And violence never happens without this process in check. Like this is the way that it goes. We, we are framed in such a way that violence is difficult for us as humans. Like that is our sense to one another. Violence is not natural. It is difficult. So the only way that we can do a violence against a group of people or be terribly mean to a group of people or be awful to a group of people is to first cast them as a problem, as immoral. We first have to dehumanize them. And that gives us the idea now that we can hurt them. This is why morality is a real problem, y'all. I, I know, like we grew up and we're talking about morals and we say like we need to be moral people and we have certain morals in scripture and we have certain morals. Morals are a problem in our society because what they do is they make one group of people feel superior and they cast another group of people as being inferior and what always usually happens when we have this imbalance in, in society is the group who is perceived as superior will marginalize and bring violence upon the group that is seen as immoral. Problem with morality is it can be defined by the woes in power. It can be twisted. It can be changed. It can be defined by those who are in power those who are above. And so here, the classic 
cast Jesus is he's full of the devil. He's a devil man. And he's doing this work through the power of Satan. And so here Jesus responds in this classic moment. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? So this is, this is just like a, this is a general like philosophical argument, right? If I'm full of Satan, then why would I want to cast out Satan? That doesn't seem to make any deal, d- sense, does it? Because that house, that way, that kingdom cannot stand. It is, in a sense, driving itself out. It is working against itself. Like imagine if a country tried to defeat a, itself. Of like, hey, we're a nation and we're going to go to war with ourselves as a nation. Where does that lead to? It leads to nothing but complete annihilation of all things. It is not, in any sense, logical or good. But he says this a little bit later. In fact, this is the key. I want you to get this. You ready? You ready? Okay. Wake up. Wake up. Yes. Yes. Out there. Grab your coffee. Take a drink. You ready? Okay. Here we go. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying up the strong man. What is Jesus talking about? What is all this language of tying up a strong man? Then, Jesus says, then... One can plunder the strong man's house. What? What? I never understood this. Like, I went through most of my life. I mean, I'm not that old. But I've gone through most of my life not understanding what this could possibly mean. Because I always tried to fit this in the sense of, like, Jesus is working to, to, to save us from our sins. And Jesus is working to get us into heaven. And in that understanding, none of this makes sense. None of it. But if we can peel our way selves off of that just for a moment and begin to understand that Jesus here is not just talking about getting to heaven or saving you from your sins, but Jesus is creating a real-life social movement for the liberation of all people, a real-life social movement for the liberation of those who have been historically marginalized and pushed aside by the people in power, then it begins to make sense. In this sense of a real political movement. And political, I don't mean Republican, Democrat. I mean like this, this, this movement that is about the negotiation of people's freedom. And then it makes sense. Because this makes sense in the sense of like those people in power, the people that cast Jesus as full of the devil, Beelzebub, Beelzebub, of, of like those, those are the people in power. Those are the strong people who dehumanize another group of people in order to keep their own power and moral superiority. Those people are holding the control levers of the world. Those people are the ones who deem who gets in and who gets out, who has access and who is denied, who is celebrated and who is demonized. It is those people in power that are the ones that control the world. And they're controlling the world in such a way that lots of people are being destroyed. And you can't fix this problem without tying them up, without neutralizing their power. And then when you go in to their house, to their way of being, and you tie them up, you, 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 you gain, you, you, you hold them in check, then 
those, the other ones can go in and plunder. This is really interesting language here, isn't it? Like, like you can plunder their house. We're like, well, Jesus would never condone rioting and, and plundering of businesses. Oh, really? Hmm. I know that makes us super uncomfortable, and I'm not one for it either. I don't, I don't think we should do that. But like, but like Jesus here is saying, if, like, like you got to tie this up. You got to tie this mess up. And who is strong enough? But here's the key. Who's strong enough to tie up the strong man? That's historically been the problem of access, right? People oftentimes... You know, I mean, like, like we, we talk about in America, we talk about people who are un, uh, under-resourced and living in poverty. And oftentimes we talk about how to get them out of poverty, how to help them out. And we'll give, like, we'll, we'll give them uh, handouts or, or, or help. And those things are all good. Those things are great. We need those social um, safety nets and social helps. We need those. But you know what? When I talk to people who are historically in underrepresented or under-resourced communities, what they really want is an equal playing field. That's what they really want. Don't want handouts. Don't want benefits. What, what they really want is to say, I'm going to have equal opportunity as you. I'm going to have equal access to the market, equal access to housing, equal access to jobs. I'm going to have equal access to education. I'm going to have the same access that you do, powerful people. That's what changes historically a society. That's what empowers people to have the same access to freedom as that group of people does. But what often happens is the people in power are the ones that are pulling the levers and say, well, we're going to keep you there and we're going to have here. And the moment that you start to rise up and we feel a threat from that, we are going to dehumanize you. We are going to, to cast you in a certain light of immoral, violent, lawbreaker, liar, seducer, immoral. And that process then pushes people down. It keeps people down. It keeps people on the margins. All the while the people in power can have access to the whole market of goods and resources as much as they want. The only solution to this is to stop that dehumanizing process so that the whole people can have equality and access to all things. Then, the only way, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house. No one can stop this dehumanizing process that casts people as immoral, that dehumanizes, that marginalizes. No one can stop that unless one person can go into the strong man's house, into the system of power, and hold it tight. Then everyone else can go plunder, get access to the goods and resources that should be available to everyone. That they can't hoard it anymore. Then you can plunder the strong man's house. Who can do this? This is the thesis of Mark. This is where everything moves out of. Because Jesus is the one that is coming to tie up the strong man. So that everyone can have access. That everyone can have access to forgiveness 
to freedom, to equality, to justice, to life. That is the work of God in the world. And that should be the work of the church in God's name. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we should be the ones that enter dehumanizing scenarios and situations and say, no, in the name of Jesus, this must stop. In the name of Jesus, this cannot stand. In the name of Jesus, you cannot dehumanize another group of people. You cannot marginalize another group of people. You cannot cast another group of people as immoral, as deserving of violence, deserving of, 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 of whatever in and adequacy that you want to put on them? No. We will stand up for that group of people. We will stand against that group of people until all things are equal and all things are free and every single person is free. That is the work of the church. That is what we are called to do. Well, I know it's a lot easier to organize potlucks Pre-pandemic, I mean, and listen, y'all, I love potlucks. I love them, and we should have them, and lots of them. But this is the work we are called to do. This is the high calling of followers of Jesus, to be part of the process of binding up the, 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 the dehumanizing of another group of people. And then he says this, get this, this is great, this is great, this is fantastic. You ready? You ready? You ready, 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 ready? That was a song a long time ago. But whoever blasphemes, but who, but I tell you, people will be forgiven all their sins. Jesus is, is offering blanket forgiveness here, blanket pardon. Everybody's forgiven. It's like Oprah. You're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and you're forgiven. This is like Oprah, like Jesus, like Oprah, right? I, I love that image. But everyone will be forgiven, everything. People are like, well, what, what's, what's, what, what's, what's forgiven? I was asked this question. What, what sins are forgivable and what sins aren't forgivable? I'm like, everything forgiven. It's all forgiven. But this. Now, this is, this is it. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What does that mean? What's that mean, you I, I never knew what this meant. I, I, I spent most of my life, and people would be like, well, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Most people will believe that, that a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is like saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist, right? That would make sense. The Holy Spirit, or saying that God doesn't exist, or Jesus it doesn't exist. Like, like maybe that was, maybe that's a blasphemy. No, no, no. Here's the blasphemy. Here's the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This is what it means. You ready? You can write this down. You can jot it down. You can get it in your notes. Saying, this is a blasphemy. Claiming that the work of liberation that God is doing is the work of the devil. That's a blasphemy. Of looking at what God is doing to liberate people and saying, nope, 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 that's not God at work. That's what the religious leaders were doing. They looked at the work of Jesus and said, this couldn't be the work of God. That's the work of the devil. When you claim that a work that is liberating and giving freedom to people that is bringing equality and justice to a group of people. When another group of people looks at that and says, that's not the work of God, you're in this territory now. All those people who've written me letters telling me how terrible I am and all those people who've said it to you and how terrible you are, 
how awful it is. They're walking on really dangerous territory. Really, really dangerous ground. Be careful, y'all, because God will work in ways that you can never imagine. And God will work with people that you never thought God would work with. Let it go. God will always bring freedom, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. God is about the work of freedom. So what Jesus is doing here is binding up the process of dehumanization against anybody else. That is the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This work only happens, I believe, in compassion, in tenderness, in grace, and in love. Yes, sometimes it's hard. And it's like building and building and building. But it only can come through work of tenderness, I believe. And so for us, in many of you in this space, in this place, listening online, many of you have been dehumanized. Many of you have been told that God doesn't love you. Many of you have been told that you aren't good enough, that you are full of the devil, that you are the child of the devil. No, you're not. You are loved. You are embraced. You are forgiven. Blanket forgiveness. You are forgiven. Even if you didn't sin, you're still forgiven. Like everybody's forgiven. It's debt release. I think that in this work, first and foremost, in order for us to partner with God in the work of the redemption of the world, the freedom, the liberation of the world, we first have to feel that and experience that for ourselves inside. And so oftentimes, we've been dehumanized. This group of people has dehumanized us, has cast insults on us, has told us that we are inadequate, immoral, lawbreakers, violent in some sense. And we, in, in, in just this natural way that we do things, we internalize this, don't we? We internalize it. And so we begin to believe about ourselves what people have said about us. We believe this, that we're not good enough, that we're immoral, that we are, are broken, that we aren't right, that God doesn't love us. And we're not experiencing God's liberation for ourselves because we've internalized that. And we genuinely believe that about ourselves. I believe the first work of binding the strong man is it to binding the strong man within us. To bind that up. Because it's a lie. It's a lie. You are beautiful. And you are worthy. And you are good. And you are forgiven, and you are loved, and God is working in you and with you, and God wants you to partner with God in the work of the redemption of the world. And I believe the first step is this tenderness towards ourselves, a nurturing of the love within us, a reminder that you are beautiful and brilliant and worthy. That is the first work I believe we are called to do. And that is the work of the church too. So today, 
we may feel this tension raging in us, this feeling like we are inadequate. But that is a lie. If you've heard, if you've been dehumanized in some way and by the church, I am so sorry. That should be the last place that you are dehumanized. But sadly, we're a mess. And so hear these words today. You are forgiven. You are beautiful. You are blessed. You are worthy of the work of God within you. You are loved. And so let's respond to ourselves tenderly. Be gentle with yourselves. Know that you're loved. You're walking in this mist of God's compassion towards you. Everywhere you go, you're walking through it. It's thick and wonderful. Maybe we need to be reminded of that this week. In the midst of this difficult season where we are stressed beyond measure, where our mental capacity is just strung out, And we're so easily tempted to fall back into our own patterns of dehumanization towards others, towards ourselves. But church, we're called to something more, something better. Let's not not dehumanize anyone else ever. That is not the work of God. But let's be people who are part of the process of binding that process of dehumanization up, standing in its way and saying, no, This will not go any further. It will stop here. It will stop here. And even in ourselves, may it stop. Let's not give it fuel. Let's not give it flame. I know that our minds are tempted to dwell on those things, but let's reframe it. Let's change it. Let's remember. Maybe you need to remember what I'm telling you. Maybe you just need to say, i, I got to remember what, what Jason was telling me this week. I am loved. I am worthy. I am beautiful. I am not those things that someone else said about me. I am not that. God is working in me. God is using me. Yes, yes, yes. Let that resonate in your soul today. Read this scripture, Mark 3, over and over again. And remember that, that God is binding up those processes of dehumanization and casting them out into the abyss where they shall never, ever return again. This week, let's join Jesus in this work, in this good work of binding up those positions of strongholds that hurt other people. Let's partner with Jesus in that work today. First, let's partner with Jesus in that work in ourselves. And remember that we are loved. I was listening to this podcast, and I'm wrapping up, and I was a little bit long. I got excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking um, about this idea, how do we engage the people that are really angry and, and different from us and could hurt us? And, and the woman just responded so tenderly and, and, and lovely, and she said, you know, when I see someone that, that is raging, I, I think of some like a, like a dog that is raging and angry, And you wonder why, and you get away from it, and you're really scared. But then you step aside, and you see that behind them, that their foot is caught in a trap, in a claw trap. And they are in pain, and they are suffering, and they are hurting, and they are scared. She said, that's the way I respond to people that are raging. And maybe right now I can't get close to them. But the first step is I can't have compassion on them, understanding that they are in such a pain and they are scared 
and they are lashing out because something is deeply wrong in their life and they are hurting so deeply. It's like maybe I can't get close right now, but at least the first step is I can have compassion on them. Maybe we can have compassion on each other today. Maybe we can have compassion on ourselves. Maybe our leg is caught in a trap and we are raging. And maybe the first step is to have compassion on ourselves. Tenderness and realizing, wow, I'm in a system that stinks. How can I get this trap off my leg? That is the process of binding the strong man, getting the traps off of people's lives. This week, may you be compassionate. May you be tender and full of love. And may you partner with God in the redemption and the liberation and the freedom of all people everywhere, including yourself. Let's pray together. Lord God, great healer, divine lover, we give you thanks for your goodness and mercy. We pray, Lord, that you would bind all the strong men up, strong systems, strong situations, that you would bind them up and that you would put an end to all dehumanization everywhere, Lord. God, use us in that process, we pray. Use us. Help us to see others with compassion. Help us to see ourselves with compassion and tenderness as well, Lord. God, we give you our lives today. Heal us, we pray. Save us, we ask. Liberate us and all the world and help us to be part of that process. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.